Good morning, my friends, and happy Easter. He is risen. Is that good news? Yeah, so today we're going to celebrate. We're going to have a good time. Just a couple quick things. First off, next week we're going to begin a new teaching series called What Now? After all, we spend so much of our time focused on the big days, the Easter's, the Christmases of our lives. Maybe it's the wedding day that you're ready for or that child that you're just any day now. But how many of us know that the big day is important, but not nearly as important as all the days that come after that day? So we're going to talk about it. What next? What do we do now? And so I hope you will join us starting next Sunday as we look at certain moments with Jesus after he was raised from the dead. If you will, let's look at John chapter 19. I want to take you to just a handful of verses that led from the cross to the tomb, to the resurrection, to today. You understand we are here because of something that happened in history. And I just want to walk you through the moments that led to this moment today. And so if you will, the text will be on the screen as well. We're just going to cherry pick our way through these last few days of Jesus's life. So beginning in John chapter 19, verse 30 says, when he, that's Jesus, when he had received the drink while on the cross, Jesus said, it is what church? finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now jump down to verse 40. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them, that's Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. These are both followers of Jesus Christ and leaders in the religious world. Joseph from Arimathea and then Nicodemus, the one who came to Jesus at night. He's the original Nick at night. Some of you will get, show of hands, how many of you know what I'm talking about? You're my people. I love it. I love it. Back to the Bible. (laughs) Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial custom. At the place where Jesus was crucified, now pay attention to this next phrase, there was a garden. Curious detail that John wants us to get. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Now jump to chapter 20 and verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, on Easter morning, while it was still Dark. Quick question. How many of you are grateful that God does his work even in the dark? Hey, listen, it has never been so dark that God cannot bring about a new day. You understand the difference between a dead man and a seed, right? Both go into the ground to die, but a seed comes back. There is this promise that what Christ did is now the seed of life given to anyone who chooses to trust Jesus. On the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, one of his followers, went to the tomb and saw that the stone that had been in front of the tomb had been removed from the entrance. Verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying because she thought Jesus was dead and someone had stolen his body. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. There's this cool little conversation. We don't have time, so we'll come back to that later. Verse 14. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Is it possible for Jesus to be present and us not recognize his presence? Absolutely. So he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And I love this phrase. Thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And now pay attention, verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary. 
she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, don't hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers, the apostles, the disciples, and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father. Because if you're in me, God is now our Father. I'm going to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene, verse 18, went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And Easter morning began. Let's pray together. In the name of the risen one, the conqueror of death, the king of the universe, the slayer of Satan, the crusher of evil, the one who calls dead men from their graves, who puts the new life of your spirit in old rotting corpses, who brings about the new in the old to King Jesus and for King Jesus. We celebrate you today. Father, thank you for giving us your son and through him giving us your life. It is in his name we pray. And all those who agreed said, and all those who agreed said, amen. All right, all right. So now, Easter morning. We all kind of know what to expect. After all, it's Easter. By the way, preachers love and hate Easter and Christmas. Did you know this? We, we have a love-hate relationship with these two holidays. Why? Everyone knows what's going to happen. It's not like I'm going to roll in here one Easter morning and say, and then they went to the tomb and he was still there. Now go with God this week. I mean, no one's going to hear that. You don't hear me rolling in saying, and then on the cross, angels came. They kicked over the guards. They torched the earth. They rescued Jesus. And that was the end. No. The story ends the same way the story ends every time we read it. He is killed. He's in the tomb for three days. And then he is victorious in death. The question is, well, how in the world do you talk about it the same way or a different way every time? And in fact, if you talk about Easter, chances are everyone also has just a little bit different view of Easter. You ask 10 people, what is the meaning of Easter? Or what do you think about when you think of Easter? And they'll give you 20 different answers. So here's my question to you. Let's just do an all-skate moment here. I'm going to invite you, turn to the person next to you, and share with them the answer to this question. What do you think about, or what do others think about when they think about Easter? You've got 10 seconds. Just what do you come up with? Go. All right, you got something? Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, Easter. How many of you, in maybe your less Christian moment, would say the very first thing you think of is an Easter bunny? Anyone here? Maybe you think of a bunny. Anyone else you know who thinks of a bunny? Yeah? When I think of an Easter bunny, this is the image I always come to. This guy. Brings candy and toys every year. And doesn't watch your kids while they're sleeping or try to kiss your wife. What other holiday character do we know who does those things, right? Santa, there we go. Some of you are in therapy because of this. So some of us, we think of the Easter bunny. And what does the Easter bunny bring, church? Eggs. Maybe it's chocolate or maybe it's filled or something else. And when I think of that, I think of this as well. I think of 
the egg dying contest. It's terrible. I know. This is, these are the jokes I have. I have kids, okay? And then others of you, others of you, you think of, well, what do you have to carry the eggs in, right? Well, baskets. And some of us think that there comes a day when you're just too old for an Easter basket. But I tell you, no, there is no such thing as being too old. You just get different things in your basket like this wise parent. When your kids are too old, but they still want an Easter basket, give them cleaning supplies. How many of you parents are going, next year is going to be epic? <laughs> Susie, Johnny, have I got a gift for you? And then, and then, and then, okay, for some of us, it's maybe none of these things. Rather, we go to, it's family, oh, or family pictures, ooh, or it's pastel colors. Any of you think of pastel colors when you think of Easter? I think of this picture right here. Yeah, her face says it all. He may be alive, but I'm going to kill someone, right? Now, here is the challenge. When we think of Easter, there's so many... You can go to the next slide, yeah. There are so many things when we think about this day, it is possible for us to miss what it's actually about. I just want to, I want to say this to you, friend. Easter is not about a bunny. Easter is not about you searching for treasures. Easter is not about how much can I accumulate. And Easter is not even about the family around you or the colors we wear. Easter is about one thing. And if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this good news. Easter is about new beginnings. That's it. We can go home now. Are you ready? You're like, yeah, let's beat the other churches to lunch. Easter is about new beginnings. We should have known. John, the apostle who wrote the account of Jesus' life, death, burial, resurrection that we just read, portion of, has been dropping hints that this is what the message of Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection has always been about. He has been dropping hints, some might say Easter eggs. (laughs) Again, this is all I got, friend. From the very beginning, did you know that he has been telling us this is what it's about? The very first line in the Gospel of John begins with these very familiar words in the, what's that word? What does that sound like? Genesis, doesn't it? The book of beginnings? The book that tells us how God started all of this begins with the exact same words in the beginning, whether Hebrew or in Greek, in the beginning. John, from the beginning, wants us to understand that Easter is not just a big moment. Easter is the second creation. What God did in the first creation that you and I and everyone who's ever lived has messed up, God, through Jesus Christ, is saying, I will recreate new creation. And this one is more durable. It is infinitely more powerful than the first because there is no sin, mistake, or wrongdoing that can undo what Christ did in the resurrection. It is new beginnings. All I want to do for the next few minutes is reflect on these few words with you this morning. For in these words, I believe you see the full picture of what God wants for you today. Let's start with that very first word. By the way, what is the first word in this sentence, church? Very good. In. You guys did a better job in the first service. Good job. In. This one word holds the entirety of human history in God's heart for you. Did you know that? In. That's God's desire is that God would come into your life and into creation 
And for the rest of us, we're all trying to get out of the mess that we got ourselves into. This word in is central to understanding what God wants and that this is not a solitary thing where he saves you and sends you on, his, on your way. He saves you and then says, now let's do this together. He wants to come in. This is the beginning of new beginnings in. The second word, what's that second word, church? Not a trick question. Let's try this again. What is that? Word, church? Yeah, definite article. The, the, depending on your pronunciation. By the way, do you understand this is the word that put Jesus on a cross? This is the reason Christ was killed. You see, no one cares if Jesus claimed to be a son of God, but the son of God? No one cares if Jesus claims to be a way or a truth or a way to live your life. But when he laid down the gauntlet and said, I am the way, one way, I am the truth. I am the only truth. I am the one way to life. People who disagreed said, we got to kill this guy because he's claiming something that I don't like. Do you understand this word is the reason the world is broken as well? It's a question about who is the boss of my life and your life and the boss of the world. Who is the way? Who is the truth? Who is the life? See, Joshua and perhaps you, Joshua wants to go my way. I am the way. You can be your way, but I am my way. I am my truth. Have you heard that phrase? You just do you, boo. You are your own truth. You are your own life. Pick the way you want to go. It's multiple choice and there is no wrong answer. This is what has shattered the very foundation of the universe because we told the king of creation, not thy will be done, but my will be done. And everything broke. The. You understand, this is actually what that whole little episode in the garden was about, right? Uh, the, the garden seen in Genesis. God, he has come in. He is with his followers. He is with Adam and Eve. He is walking among them. In fact, Genesis 3, 8 says he would walk with them. And then John chapter 1, Jesus comes in. He lays down the tent of his life and he moves among us and lives among us. And he then sets precedent standards for how we should live, not out of a dictatorship heart, but out of a loving father heart that says, this is just the way it works. But then he says to Adam and Eve, he says, there is that one tree. You can have anything, but you can't have that one tree. Why? Was that like God's special fruit? He didn't want to share? Is that that what's good? No. God knew for Adam and Eve to be able to choose to love him, they must also have the choice not to love him. See, if he is the only option, then love cannot exist. For love to exist, you and I must have the option not to love. And so he says, I want you to trust me. That's what that was all about. Will you trust me to be the boss? Not because I am brutal or evil or an overlord, but because I love you and know the way things work. And they said what every human has said since then, no. Uh, by the way, how many of you have little kids, two years old? Anyone here have little kids? How many of you have ever had a little kid? How many of you were ever a little kid yourself? Now we got some hands. What is one of the very first words that every child learns? No. What's another word that every child learns pretty quickly? My, see, I didn't even have to tell you. Mine. Here's the thing. 
I have never once looked at my wife, Lindsay, smacked her in the head, screamed, mine, as I grabbed the remote from her hand. (laughs) And yet my kids didn't need an example to know how to do that themselves. And you and I don't either, do we? See, something is fundamentally busted in each one of us. We all are internally built in or turned in on ourselves. It is my way. And everything broke because we got this confused. Now, here's where John wants us to see a difference. He says, John, he says rather that Adam in the garden, John is a man who wanted to become God. You remember that was a promise. You will become like God if you simply eat this fruit. And he wanted it. But Jesus is God who came and became a man for us. In the first garden, in the place where Adam lived, this perfect place where he had all he had to eat, he had intimacy with God, he had openness with his wife, perfect climate-controlled world, and best of all, clothing was optional. It was a fantastic world, and yet in this garden, he is tempted and he failed. Jesus, where was he the night before he was killed? He went to the garden to pray, and in that prayer he said, if there is any other way. In the garden, Jesus was tempted, but he said, not my will, but your will be done. He won. The first man fell. Our hope is the one in the garden who won the victory. And because of this, death entered into the first garden. But through Jesus Christ, did you notice that little detail? The tomb is in what place? A garden. But through Jesus, life begins again in the garden. John wants us to see that all of this is a story of new beginnings. In fact, that's the third word, beginning, in the beginning. Beginnings, isn't that what we all long for, to start again, to go again? Some of us, we get nostalgic the older we get. We want to go back to the places we grew up. Watch the old videos, see the old TV shows, listen to the music because there's this desire to go back to where it all began and there's this hunger and homesickness for what was. But Jesus says, don't look backward for I am giving you a new beginning that will be better than any you've experienced before. Why does he start with beginning? See, see, why does John want to connect the dots from his moment in Genesis? I, I think it's for this reason. So that when you and I come to Jesus and we say with the pieces of our life in our hands, it's just too much. I've broken it too much. There's nothing I can do to fix what I've done. Jesus can say back to us, you know, I started with nothing. I'm pretty sure I can fix what you've got. It is a story of new beginning. But now this is where the story changes. In the beginning in Genesis, the next word is God. But in John's account, it's in the beginning was the word. Why? What's this mean? Now, first, that word, word, is a nickname John gives to Jesus. This is referring to Jesus Christ. He is the word. But why word? That word in the Greek is the word logos or logos. You need to understand that word was pregnant with meaning in the first century. To the pagans or the Greeks, for over 500 years, they described the universal reason, the, the, the way the world, the universe just works, the rationale, how things are just logically wound together. They described that as the logos. But the Jews, they used that word to describe personified power. 
So John says, you want to know who Jesus is? He is the one who knows how to make sense of your broken life, and he is powerful enough to make it happen. The one who in the beginning spoke, let there be, and there was, now enters our story and says to every broken and busted up thing, let there be, where there was darkness, there can be light. Where there was chaos, there can now be beauty. Where there was destruction and separation between people, there can now be unity because of the spoken word, let there be. Now here's the interesting thing. Isn't it true that most of us are who we are in part to the word, based on the words that were said over us. Man, I still remember some of the most hurtful things when I was, I can remember one time on a youth retreat and there was a comment that was made. I was 14 years old and here I am 30 plus years later and that's the thing I can still remember. The place, the person, everything. Do we carry the wounds of the words that people have shared? Absolutely. But we also carry the beautiful things, the teacher who saw your potential and spoke into you. Or the spouse who said, I'm not giving up even though you've made a mistake. We know those moments where people have spoken, but we know those moments that have so broken and defined us. And then, and then there's the person who we hear the most, ourselves. That's usually in the middle of the night, right? Start to tell yourself all the things you've done wrong. And the problem is, you're right. I'm right. In fact, I'm just curious, what word do you carry on you this morning? Like, what is that thing? If you were to kind of label yourself, what would that be? I was talking to a friend earlier this week whose daughter is only six years old. And she said her daughter came home from school earlier this week and her daughter went to the mirror, the big mirror. And she stood there, just this little person. And she goes over to the mirror and she just goes. My friend says, "Uh, what are you doing? She goes, am I fat? Six. She goes, who told you that? Oh, some kids at school. Who told you that? We carry these words on us. Here's what you need to hear this morning. The good news of Easter Sunday is not that you aren't broken, but rather Christ says, I will make something new. I will speak. And where there was brokenness, there can now be life. Where there was darkness, there can now be light. Did you see it? There in John chapter 20, we read the verse a moment ago. Mary comes to the tomb. She is broken hearted. Everything she hoped for was gone. All that she longed for was not going to happen. And then she comes face to face with Jesus, but she just doesn't recognize him. Is it possible to be so broken hearted you don't even recognize the presence of God? A funny little fact. Did you notice what she, who she thought he was, by the way? She thought he was the gardener. By the way, Genesis, what does God make for Adam and Eve to live in? A garden. So you green thumbs, you are participating in the world's oldest occupation of gardening. She thought he was the gardener. She had no idea how right she was. But she didn't recognize him. Until what? He spoke her name. Do you know the most precious word to any person is their own name? This is why, and I do such a poor job of it, but I want to know your names. I don't want to just know your faces. You want to know each other's names, not just faces, because the name is precious. It is when Jesus spoke her name 
that she could see. What's the first thing that God created when he spoke in Genesis? Do you remember? He said, let there be light. For without light, we are in the darkness. For without the spoken word of God, we live in spiritual and physical darkness. But at the voice of Jesus Christ, spiritually blind eyes can now see. New beginning. Yes, there's a tomb in the garden, but the tomb is now empty. It was a borrowed tomb because Jesus was not going to be there long. And now, the invitation goes forth. No matter where you've been or what you've done, the invitation goes forth today. New beginning. In the beginning, on Easter Sunday, 2023, new life can begin. In the beginning. How many of us are longing for new beginning in a marriage with a child? Maybe it's, maybe it's something just more fundamental. You just say, I need a new beginning with you, Lord. I, I've known about you, but there's a difference between knowing about you and knowing you. So who needs new beginning? This is the promise and the beautiful power of Easter Sunday.